Hey, grab your Bibles. Open them up to the book of James towards the back of the New Testament. That's where we've been. And, and, I, and truly, honestly, I'm sitting there going, I'm ready to move on. Okay, that's why I get going on something. Like, okay, and then I get excited about the next thing, but I still have not finished this. And this is where I'm at. And it's like, boy, I'm just going to zip through James 5 today. And so we move on to the next thing. And then I got stuck. Oh, I got stuck. Um, let's, let's read just the first six verses, and I'll tell you why I got stuck. Okay? It says here in ch- verse 1 of chapter 5, Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan and anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your fresh, your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Verse 4 goes on to say, For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields, who reach the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying every desire. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. And then I stopped. In preparation and reading and and studying, and I got to this point, and I tried to go on and read some more, and tried to, but I kept coming back. And then in the middle of the week, it was as if God was saying, um, Rex, you're only going to preach on the first six verses. And I'm sitting there going, and this, this literally came out of my mouth. God, are you sure? Are you sure you just want me to talk about money and wealth? And then I stopped talking and I started thinking to myself. It's like, it's August. People are coming back from vacation and ball tournaments, and maybe the lake are here pretty soon, and you're getting back from ready to start up school, and camps are over, and, and there's been pandemic issues, and, 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 and they're, they're coming in, and, and the church might be a little bit more full than it was last week, and, and you want me to talk about money. That's boring. That's not exciting. And for anybody visiting, you might have just come from another church at one time where it's like, all the pastor ever does is talk about money and giving. I'm surprised they don't put the offering right on the altar and have everybody come forward. We'll just play just as I am until just as you give is done, right? That's the way it's going to work. But nobody wants to hear a message on giving. Those were my thoughts, okay? Sometimes, you know, I shouldn't share all my thoughts. But then I realized this. If we're serious about worshiping God, right? If we're serious about humbling ourselves and submitting to a holy God, if we're serious about spiritual growth, becoming more like him, then that, then that looks like all areas of our life. All areas of our life. And I think about that all in every area of my life includes not just my tongue. Oh yeah, chapter 3, talk about speech. Or how we judge others. We're, we're judgmental looking at each other. And maybe we can be, I don't know, uh, racist at time. Or, or we, we just sort of like put people in categories and we judge. Okay, we talked about that. Okay, I can, I can work on that. And, well, temptations. Well, yeah, we all deal with temptations. Let's work on that. Well, how about faith and doing? What you believe, you also got to put the action. We can work on that. And then we get here with money. And it's like, do we have to work on that? 
I mean, really? But then last week, didn't we sing that song, I Surrender All? I sang it. God, I surrender all. Well, almost all, okay? Let's be real, God. When I said all, what I meant was most of, or for the majority part, or just enough to get me in the club, right? All means all, last I knew, which means not just my tongue, not just my attitude, but also my pocketbook, all of me, all that I own. And when I'm looking at the scripture, you know, we read and study this, it's like, okay, so what is this all about? Because it's sometimes when you read scripture, it's hard to understand the intent and the tone of the person writing, right? It's like translating emails with people and text messages. Like, well, that's right, that's coming across. And we try to decipher and wonder, well, what did they mean by this? How did they, were they, it wasn't all caps, so I know they weren't shouting, but I don't like how the tone, and I look at this and I'm going, we need to know the tone of James and the situation that he was in. And why is he saying this? Because at first it seems like he's got a little rage going here. Hey, you rich people, wake up. You know, sort of that, oh, well, all right. Just trying to get at us here. But isn't that James? Hasn't he done that already in four chapters? Hasn't he sort of like stepped on our toes and poked us in the side and slapped us in the face with God's word? Don't you sort of feel that way? I mean, that, but that's James. James is like, listen, man. Jesus was my brother. He's more than my brother. He's my savior. And, and his word matters. And, and listen, I see, I see us heading in a direction we don't want to go. So why am, I, why am I stepping on your toes, poking you and slapping you? Because I don't want eternal destruction for you. Because I care. And we would be the same way, right? If you saw somebody about ready to do something, and you're sitting there and go, oh, they're going to trip over that. They're going to trip over that, and we just stand there and we just watch instead of doing something. Isn't that sort of, I don't know, not caring? Well, I care about them. Then maybe we should say something, right? Hey, you're about ready to trip on that. Don't stick that next. You know, we would do that. But oftentimes we just sort of sit back and some of some of us like, oh, I want to get this on video, right? James isn't that way. James is like, I don't want that to happen to you, so I'm going to get your attention. And I feel that's sort of the intent and the tone here in this part, because he's, he's not yelling at the rich people. He's, he's, he's not yelling about maybe, you know, the, the, the situation of wealth. It's the attitude towards wealth. It's what we're doing with our wealth. He wants to see the ultimate worthlessness of earthly riches. And he's trying to get our attention on this. And so I had to like I do with all my sermons, step back and say, but does this include me, God? Or am I just supposed to preach this to other people? I mean, seriously, in my life, I grew up on a farm. I know what it means to not have much. I, I, the hand-me-downs, get it, you know? I'm the youngest of six kids. You know, you got whatever else didn't fit them anymore, you know? Except my sister, didn't wear her clothes. Praise God, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, praise God, okay. Um, but there was a certain age I got because I was bigger than my brothers where I couldn't wear their clothes and mom bought the Huskies, right? So, you know, you just, I know what it meant to not have much. But then I was thinking through this because, you know, again, I'm sitting there going, well, and, and I'm not rich. I, I, I'm, I'm really not because I, I categorize rich people by what they drive, where they live, the kind of house, car, all that. They're, you know, it's like, oh, they're rich. Yeah. 
Me? No, I, don't, I wouldn't put myself in that category. But then if you look at the statistics today, most people in this world live on less than a handful of dollars every day. Matter of fact, if you, have, if you make more than $14,000 a year, you're considered rich to the most of this world. It's like, really? Yeah. That's statistically speaking, right? So I reflected more about growing up on, you know, on the way I grew up. And it's like, well, I'll raised on a farm. And I'll throw my 4-H picture up on her, okay? This is, uh, you know, today, for those of you in 4-H, you probably got about 1,000 pictures. I was in 4-H 10 years and probably have four. Two with a cow, two with a pig. Okay, I mean, that was dead. Okay, out of all the stuff that I did in 4-H, that was basically, that's all I could find, right? So I, the chores, though, that I did. So my mom and dad were very generous to me, even though I probably didn't deserve it. None of us do, right? And they're like, when you work on the farm, my dad was like, I'll, I'll hire you. So mark down your hours, keep track, and we'll pay you. I can remember, is that the end of the week or end of the month? So it's like I, like checking into work, right? So I would write down my hours that I worked besides typical chores. And there were times, 45 minutes. So mom's probably listening, so there's confession time. So 45 minutes, I would round up to the hour. I mean, come on. When you are shoveling pig manure or pulling weeds in a bean field, it is worth double. But, you know, just 15 minutes, I was going to round up, right? And I'd have to ask myself, because again, I'm reflecting back on all this, what I did. I'm going, that's because I wanted more. What was so fun about 4-H? Two words. Sale day. Okay? (laughs) On sale day is when you would sell your animal and you got money. Okay? I'm looking back at my life and I'm going, I think I was actually sort of greedy at times. No, no, no. Can't be, right? Okay, then I think about college. When I went to college, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a math teacher, but thanks to analytic, analytical geometry, trigonometry, my senior year, that was out, okay? There's no way I'm going to teach math after not being able to handle that class. So I go to college with my future roommate. We're there in the summer. They had like, a, like this college fair type thing where they had all the majors there in the dining commons, and you can go up to which booth and learn more about a major. I didn't know what a major was. I thought it was like a, a ranking in the army or something, okay? It's like, no, a major is what you choose, what you're going to do the rest of your life. Oh, okay. I know it's not a math teacher. Look at my, my future roommate. What is he doing? Well, he comes from a very successful family business. He's going to be a business major. They're going to make money. I like the sound of that. I'm going to be a business major. I signed up to be a business major because why? Because in the back of my mind, I can make some money. Right? That lasted one semester. God got a hold of me like Jonah. And just like, no, you're going into Christian ministries. And that all changed. But I look at that moment. It was like, why? You know, I know where my heart was at times. It wasn't always the best. A little greed in there. Then sprinkle that in with a little bit. Well, what is everybody else doing? What do they have? I need to have what they have. And maybe more of it. You know, so my buddy who was like signing up for something, I signed up for it too. That wasn't the first time I followed him. You ever hear that phrase, if, you're, well, if your friend jumped off a cliff, would you jump off too? Did you ever use that phrase before, parents? Some of you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. Okay? So my buddy and I, we were on a trip up north, way up north, Wisconsin. Canoe trip with a youth group. About, a, I don't know, 15, 20 of us in the middle of nowhere for a week. And, you know, we had actually some food dropped in at a couple spots. 
we had bears come into our camp one night. Another story for another time. Take it. But we got into our camp one night. Scott stood up, and the leader's like, "Hey, you guys can go ahead and swim if you want." We're like, "Hey, we just we just literally went underneath this bridge and had a ladder tied to it." And it's like, "Can we swim back up to where that bridge was?" Oh, go for it. So my buddy and I, you know, we go swimming upstream. We get to the ladder, and he climbs up and jumps off. I climb up, jump off. He goes up halfway, jumps off. I climb up halfway, jump off. Hey, whatever he's going to do, I'm going to do right. So I hit the water, I come up, I swim over, grab the ladder, and I look, and I was like, where did he go? Oh, no. Did something bad happen? And I'm, like, trying to figure this out. So, you know, I'm like, all of a sudden, he goes, ah! He was on top of the bridge, went running, hurtled the railing, and went into the river. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? So me, being the responsible person in this youth group, did the same thing because, hey, if my friend jumps off a bridge, I'm going to jump off a bridge, right? That's poor decision-making right now, kids. I'm going to tell you right now, okay? As I hit the water and came up, somebody came running out of a cabin that was right there, happened to be right at that river point, screaming, yelling, stop. There are some rocks there. Somebody's going to get seriously hurt. We stopped. We didn't realize the danger of what we were doing. But again, I was following along, and I'm not, I can't blame him. I made the choice. But isn't that the way it is in life? We, we chase after things. Why? Well, because of what's going on in our hearts, but also because we're like, well, look what they're doing. I want that. If they're doing it, I want that. And it's nothing but dangerous, and that's why God's like, hey, 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 let me talk to you right now before somebody else gets hurt. Be careful. That's what James is doing here in this, in this passage. I learned a lot about as I reflected on my life, that there's some greed in there. Even though I didn't come from a wealthy family, there was something in my heart that said, but I want more. In your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, I want to read this to you. There were some arguments going on with Paul and some false teaching, and then he sort of right in the middle of all this says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Isn't that true? And the women are like, praise God. Because I delivered a baby, I don't need to deliver a suitcase as well, right? When we came into this world, we brought nothing. And we, can take any, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Verse 8 says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. But he goes on to say this. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people crave money, have wandered from the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's like everybody goes, oh, the love of money is the root of all evil. We forget the verses before and the verse after, right? See, we, we have enough. We do. God's blessed us with enough. For some reason, though, at times, we're just not content. And then we have this, here's what we got to be careful. We have this longing for more. And the Bible says that longing leads to what? Temptation. Because now I want what I don't have and I, and I can't have. So we're all tempted. At this point, we're all good. Okay? It's like, I'm such a sinner. You're t- just because you're tempted doesn't make you a sinner. Okay? Now, the next part is where we get into trouble. We haven't given in temptation, but when we start going against God's word and we give into temptation, that's where it says here, it leads to what? It leads to a trap. 
And the trap includes foolishness and harmful desires. What does that lead to? A plunging into ruin and destruction. Do you see the slippery slope? It starts here in our hearts and our eyes. We see something. We want something. And then it's like we're tempted by it. And then we start desiring it and chasing after it. The chasing after it leads us down to a trap where we into ruin and destruction. It's scary, isn't it? It just seems natural that we want more, right? But it's so natural, isn't it? You go through a drive-thru and they're like, would you like the biggie size that? Oh, of course I want a biggie size it. Why not have more, right? You go through the buffet and you load up your plate and you're like, I can get a couple more scoops on there. I'm a competitor. He got another piece of chicken. I'll get three pieces of chicken, you know? And we walk away with, a, with an overabundance. It's like, really? I could have come back and gotten more at any time. But that first trip, I feel like I just need to go for more. Why? I don't know. We're all that way. Some of you play games and you're like, I need more points. I need more gems. I need to collect more of this. I'm conquering lands. I must have more land. Why? I don't know because I can't cash it in anywhere. It really does no good in real life, but I've got to have more. It's that way in so many areas of our life, isn't it? I think we can all relate to that. We're all guilty of it in one way or another. In the chase after these things, here's what happens. My chasing after all this stuff, what does it do? It robs me of my pursuit of God. Because if I'm, if I'm chasing after this, and I'm playing a game, and I, keep, and I caught myself doing this the other day, I was like, okay, I'm going to play this game just for a couple minutes because I, I need a break from work. And, so I'll, and then it's like, wait, oh, whoa. Oh, why am I doing that? What am I chasing after? Rob me of my pursuit of God, right? Seems so innocent to want something and then to want more of it. Something gets out of hand, right? It's not about the getting, though. My obsession, my attitude can take me away from my faith. And, and I have to ask these questions then Who am I following? What am I pursuing? It'll be reflected in my pocketbook, it really is, in my bank account. When you look at scripture, I mean, James comes around and the first thing he, he says is, he says, hey, look here, you rich people. It's like, oh, you're not talking to me? He's, maybe, maybe not, okay? But he says this, weep and groan. Weep and groan. Do it with, with anguish. When he starts using this verbiage, he's going back to Old Testament, Isaiah, Amos, others who were facing judgment from God. This weep and groan is a wailing, a shrieking, a howling. Because you're facing the judgment of God. And that's the language James is using. He's saying, you're about ready to be judged. Beware. Be alert. And, and, and so I sit there and think, wait, again, is this me? I mean, why do we want more? i got to ask this question because I don't want to be the one being judged here. And then I thought, maybe. Maybe we're given into a lie. Maybe, maybe we're believing something that isn't true. Oh, it happens. Matter of fact, rewind to the beginning, the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, it said that God placed Adam and Eve, placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says this, But the Lord God warned him. Now listen to this. You can eat freely. Listen, you can eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden. That, sounds, that doesn't sound like a warning. That sounds like a blessing. You can eat from every tree, fruit of the garden. Oh, but one. 
except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you'll, you'll be sure to die. But God sets us up like, look at everything around here. It's all yours. Eat freely, except that one. Don't touch that, okay? Don't, don't, don't worry about that tree. Enter the devil, chapter 3. In chapter 3, the serpent, oh, the devil, the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say that you can't eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? This is the introduction to Satan in the scriptures. The first thing the devil does is question God and put doubt into the mind of the heart of the one who loves God. Did God really say this? Did God really say you can't eat from the fruit of that tree? What did he do? He pointed out the very one thing God said you can't. But the whole abundance of everything else that was out there that God said you can, the devil never mentions that. The devil never, never reminds you of the blessings that God gives you. The devil never comes up and says, hey, you know, God is really good to you. The devil never does that. You know what the devil does? He whispers, whispers in your ear and says, you don't have something that you probably should. I think God's holding out on you. I, God, I don't think God's a good God. If God's a good God, you would have this. If God's a good God, you have perfect health. If God's a good God, you'd have a great bank account. If God's a good God, your wardrobe would outmatch that person's wardrobe over there right now. That's what God, good gods do, right? Isn't that what the devil does? Starts putting that little seed of doubt in there. And when he does that, we lose sight of what God's given us. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve are focusing on the one thing, one thing, instead of all this. And that's what happens when we lose sight of who God is. We just focus on that one thing. We narrow in on it. We've been given grace and mercy, church. Think about this. We have been given so much, an eternal relationship with the God of creation. Isn't that good? That good news? Yeah? Peace, strength. Gentleness, kindness, he's given us his very own spirit. The spirit of God he's given to us. We are so blessed. It's amazing. Oh, and and after that, anything else you get is a bonus. If you're in here and you're married, that's a bonus. You got got kids, that's a bonus. You got a job, that's a bonus. God's never promised any of that in his word. You just show me. God said you will have a job. We should, we should work. He, he showed us very, from the very beginning. He gave Adam work. So I know I, there's a job for me. But if he gave me, if I get a really nice job, I call that a bonus. Me serving you, that's a bonus. I don't deserve this. If you're in here like, but I'm single, so I didn't get a bonus, he might have given you the gift of singleness, which is a bonus for you. See, God's blessed you, and maybe we don't realize this. We, we, we start off thinking, this is what he's going to give me, but he gives us so much more. Let me give you an example of this. There's a place in Indiana uh, I like to stop by when we drop the boys off at the college. It's called Ivanhoe's. It's an ice cream place. And, and growing up, when we had strawberry shortcake, it was just a bowl, a little bit of shortcake in there, right? And then a couple strawberries and milk. Maybe sprinkle some sugar, right? Well, that to me is what I get. But what I get at Ivanhoe's is a little bit bigger. A bowl that's bigger than my hand, looks like a pint of strawberries in there. And then the, the girl behind the counter always, always says, would you like ice cream or whipped cream with that? And I'm like, <laughs> both, thanks, yes. 
Why not? You're going to give it to me? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't deserve the whipped cream. I don't deserve the ice cream. You're going to give me both? It's like, what I grew up with, it's like, yeah, this is what God, this is what I, what I, you know, maybe deserve. I don't know. Probably not. But God's like, oh, this is what I'm giving you. I'm giving you this, and there's so much more to it. Are you following me on this? Uh, some of you are like, okay, I, I checked out. I'm ready for lunch, right? Go back to, to, to James um, 5, and you look at that scripture. At first, it looks like a rags-to-riches story. This is a riches-to-rags story. As James is pointing out, he hits the, the three main sources of wealth with, with crops, which rot, garments or clothing, which will, will fall apart, and then precious gold or silver, which he says will rust, which really don't rust. But the whole point of him saying is that what, whatever you have will corrode. It will not last. It, it, it's just going to move. It's just going to fade away. It's going to basically decay. And he's saying, these things here that are all going to fade away, have they robbed you of your time with God? I told you in chapter 4, submit to God. Humble yourselves to God. You need to have that relationship. Are you pursuing him or are you pursuing the material things? So like the prophets of the Old Testament, James says, you better weep and groan because some of you are pursuing the wrong thing and it's going to take you down. You will be just like the things that you've chased after. And that's sort of scary when he when he when he says this. You know, it's almost like I'm picturing like in those movies where the where the king is hoarding all the gold and then he is destroyed along with it. You know, he's on this on this boat or something and then it, it sinks and he goes down with it. But he's like, I got everything and you went down with it. That's the picture I have when I'm reading this. And then he talks about the cries of the field workers that they've cheated. And we read through the Old Testament; it's very clear that God says those who work should get paid. Don't cheat those that are working for you. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, we see that. And what are these people doing? They're cheating the people that are paid, that they're work, being worked for. And they're probably feeling cheated. They're like, I'm working, I'm getting nothing. And James says this, the God of heaven's armies hears your cries. Church, listen, you might think you're getting ripped off right now and you're not being taken well care of. God hears you. He knows. He knows what you deserve. He knows what you get. He knows if you were to walk on the parking lot today and pick up a penny, he knows you, have, you will have one more penny in your life. And if you lose a dollar, he knows you lost. He knows what you have and don't have. He just doesn't want you to worship those things. He wants you and I to worship him who has given us so much more. So as we wrap this up, what do we do with all this? Well, as I look through this, I came to a conclusion of this. First of all, I need to draw near to God. It all comes back to it. It always does. Okay, God, thank you for, for everything. Okay, I want to draw near to you. Now, here's the second thing. Give him thanks. I know this isn't Thanksgiving. It isn't a Thanksgiving message. It is one of those things like, what has God given you? What, is, what has he blessed you with? Have you thanked him for that today? Or are you still hung up on the things you don't have? Give him thanks for what? You have. And if it's not everything you wanted, give God thanks for what you have. And then the other thing is this use what God's given you. He gave it to you for a reason. It's not yours. We're called stewards. God owns it, He gives it to us. We distribute it, we use it for His glory, not for ours. What is it that He's given you? Uh, some of you ladies in here did the uh, Beth Moore study on James, and I think she mentioned like, 
Here's something else is that when she would get something, like she gets a new outfit, a new shirt or something, she would then go to the closet and pull out an old one that she no longer wears and make sure she hands it off. If I'm going to bring something, I'm going to give something out. That was sort of a practical idea on her part. But it keeps in mind this, that when I'm giving something, I should thank God for it, and who can I bless with something else? That was sort of the thought behind that. Fourth and final thing is this. Draw near to God. It always comes back to that. I think that's why James keeps saying, all these things I'm telling you, I'm trying to wake you up to, okay? Stay close to God. He will help you. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, God tried to teach his people this early in life. You know, if we were to open up the Bible this morning to the book of Exodus, you got Genesis and Exodus, and we would have read how God's people were slaves in Egypt, and then God said, I want to free you. I want to free you from everything that's going on around you. So Moses comes in, and they, boom, they're free, right? They're walking through the wilderness. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We don't have a house to live in. And then so they've, they built shelters. And it's like, well, we don't have food. And God says, I'll provide you every day with manna. Every day. You're going to wake up. you got enough just for today. Tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow. So we do that, right? So they wake up the next day. Here's my manna for tomorrow. And the same, they went on for like 40 years, right? Scripture even says that they walk through the wilderness. Their shoes never wore out in 40 years, ladies. Oh, sorry. Just kidding. Their clothes never wore out, right? We're like, I've worn these four days. I need something new, right? 40 years. Can you believe that? Because here's why. Because they didn't have the means, and God said, I will take care of you. But manna every day, really? Daily bread? I, I struggle with that. When I first started with the ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we had to raise our funds. It's like, you got to go out and get to raise everything for your salary, your office, all the resources, everything you do. you got to raise that whole budget. And it's like, okay, that's challenging, you know. And, and I would love to say when you look at the, the uh, finances, it's like, hey, we're set for the year. I've never, I don't know what that means. I really don't. Because in this ministry, it's more like I'm set for the next three months, two months, one month, two months, three, one, three. It's just, it's like that. You know what that's called? It's called trust. We've never been in need. God's always taken care of. And there are times people are like, I can't believe you are part of a ministry where you're, you got to raise support. Wouldn't it be easier just to have a job where you get paid automatically? It's like, oh, it would be easy. But you know what I've learned in these 16 years? Trust God. Trust God. He gives me what I need every day. I don't need to worry about next year, next month. He's got me. He is such a good God, isn't he? So when you look in scripture, you'll read all the way from the beginning to the end. It comes down to just draw near to him, trust him. He's he's really blessed us, hasn't he? Would you stand, please? God, I thank you that you provide for what we need on a daily basis. There are times when we just think, I don't know if I can make it today. But we do. Because you are good. No matter what somebody whispers into our ears or shouts at us or proclaims, we know you are good and you are always good. Your goodness is not defined by what I have or have not or how much I have. Your goodness is not defined by what my neighbor has or doesn't have. You are good, period. And you love us. And you give to us what we do not deserve. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you bless us with. So, God, we humbly come before you and always ask, Lord, check my heart.
Forgive me of the things that I've done that have been wrong, that have offended you. Cleanse me, Lord. We pray, though, and we ask for forgiveness. And we ask, God, for your spirit to help us live in a way that honors you. Help us to be thankful people of God. Help us to be joyful. Help us to trust you because you really do give all that we need. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us, Lord, to worship you down in song. In thy name we pray. Amen.